The clamor of clashing steel. A scream. The beat of frantic footfalls race down empty alleyways as desperate rogues go about their bloody work. Their quarry, no mere sack of gold or jewels, but a prize of flesh and blood. Royal guards race to the scene, but they are too late. The bedchamber is empty save for the bodies of two fighting men. The princess is gone. Hello and welcome to episode three of Rogues in the House. This is the big one. This is the big armor debate. As always, I have with me my good buddies, Matt and Logan. I see uh, Matt on the um, internet machine here quaffing some, probably not wine. I think that uh, everyone's a little under the weather. So I think maybe maybe tea or water or maybe some sort of Alka-Seltzer uh, no, type it's, of thing. It's wine. <laughs> it, it is wine. <laughs> I have I have tea. I, I have tea. Yeah, you know they they say feed a cold, right? So feed it wine. Yeah, this is a it's a Pinot Grigio called uh, McManus, oh. and I just feel like that's a powerful name. And I definitely uh, purchased it because uh, my previous D and D character was named McManus. Oh, nice. There we go. <laughs> um, I think that uh, that sounds like a, a Scotch, though. It does sound very it, Scotchy. Yeah. It yeah. does, but it's it's definitely a little more of a um, <laughs> a Pinot Grigio, so not as, <laughs> not as uh, beardy and manly as a Scotch. The the McManus <laughs> clan has branched out a little bit, so that's good. Yeah. That's right. They're delicate sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is it, guys. This is our big episode. After this, who knows what happens? Yeah, right? we've we've hyped this one up a lot. Yeah, this is so we have to deliver. This is. Uh, <laughs> Armor, armor aesthetics in sword and sorcery. So the the uh, the amazing fur diaper and the hotly contested chainmail bikini. But before we get into that, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, what what's caught our interest this month? I feel like I don't know who I always start with. Um, I don't know. I'm gonna go Matt this time. What do you, what do you got going on? Well, I had a there's a couple things rattling around up here. Uh, I alluded last time that I was reading um, Conan and the Emerald Lotus by John C. Hawking. And I've not, I'm really quite close to finishing, um, but I'd rather just actually finish off before I make that be my thing. Um, hmm. The other bit was I've been playing God of War 4, but uh, I don't really want to cover that. I mean, I feel like everyone knows about it. It's not particularly sword and sorcery. So I think I'll just go ahead and be a little cheesy and talk about the fact that the Conan Monolith source book is uh, finally out. This is something I was hired to uh, write, oh man, years ago at this point, uh, when Modifius was running their Conan uh, RPG Kickstarter. This is before I actually ended, uh, I was working for Monolith, but at the time I had a prototype, and so I had contacted them and said, hey, uh, I have this stuff. If you, you know, after they announced this book, I contacted them mentioning that I have the stuff and I could probably contribute. They're like, yeah, cool, do it. And I was like, uh, okay, like what? Do what? They're like, the, you can do the whole book. I was like, what? Uh, so anyways, a couple of years later, uh, it's actually done and in, in it's for sale in PDF, so... I'm fairly proud of it. A lot of people, um, you know, are giving me kind feedback. Uh, but it's also super nerve-wracking because, you know, a lot of people are going to play it. 
And I know you guys know that gamers can be quite particular, so I'm still sort of bracing for a deluge of, uh, of criticism, but thus far it's all been pretty positive. So if, that's, uh, if you have the King Pledge from the Conan board game, you can get the book now in PDF on DriveThruRPG. You do need the King Pledge, uh, and you need two tile packs as well which are Perilous Ruins and, oh gosh, I can never remember the full titles, Perilous Ruins, and then the other one is Crypt of Horror. Um, anyways, when you go on drive-thru, it'll tell you the things that you need. So that is my own uh, little bit of uh, self-advertising, I guess, but I don't care. I'm slightly proud of it, and I wrote a Conan book, and that's a bucket list item. You should be proud of it. Yeah, if, congratulations. If you're not a King Pledge, is there a way that you can get it, or will there be a way that you can get it? Um, Monolith is hoping to continue with the Conan line in 2020. Um, the license was lost. Uh, not lost, but it was, it was, it's, it's with somebody else now. So in 2019, they can't produce and sell new material. Um, but they're really in talks and having plans to move forward and produce more material. When that happens, we'll make it so that you can get those items again. For now, uh, you can, if you go to the overlord.net, uh, Monolith's main community site, they have an upgrade pack, essentially, that allows you to use the items from the King Pledge. The only thing I don't think you'll have is one of the maps, potentially. So if you only have retail, that'll be kind of a problem for you. Right, right. Very cool, though. That's pretty awesome. Congratulations. That's pretty yeah. I'll go next because I'm looking at the notes and I know what Logan's um, line item is. So <laughs> yeah, that's, actually, uh, that's sort of the big one. A came up in the last couple of days, so I got a little bit to talk about. So yeah. go ahead. So I'll, I'll go. Um, I think the, uh, the, the big thing that uh, I'm working on right now is uh, the three of us have decided that in 2019 we're going to do uh, a live play. We're going to do a live play, not as um, our episodes, mm -hmm. But just as some bonus content, something that's going to be fun for us. So I'm working on adapting 5e to my liking uh, in a, a sword and sorcery setting, um, perhaps in the sword and sorcery setting. Um, well, more details to come on that. So I've kind of been hacking away, and I, I've kind of have the I have a, the skeleton of a, a site that I've really you know pillaged from a lot of other people's ideas, uh, as I'm wont to do. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be in true sword and sorcery fashion. It's going to be episodic. Uh, so when we broadcast it, uh, I don't know if how we'll, quite how we'll do it yet, but um, it'll either be chopped up, uh, but it will be one, you know, quick uh, one shot, really, uh, wrapping up in one night. And we'll probably chop it up and, and, and send it out in that way. I think that um, I'll use some sort of a ranking system um, just to sort of add a little bit of flavor as we go. Uh, I'm going to try to, and this is not my idea, but I stole this from the internet, uh, to add doom and momentum from the 2D20 system, uh, sort of shoehorn that into the inspiration system of 5e. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, and a couple of other ideas. So, you know, there won't be, there's not going to be any healers, so we're going to use the healing surge rules from the, uh, the DMG. Um, and I don't know, I'm excited about it, and I've been putting a lot, of, a lot of time into it. And that's sort of been the big thing that I've been looking at. Uh, I think the only other thing that I've been doing, and this is going to segue into what you want to talk about, is I reread Black Colossus for reasons. Hey, Logan, what, what have you been checking out? 
All right, so I'm going to start off with a couple other things um, before I get into the tie-in there. Uh, leaving work today, uh, I always take 10 minutes to wait for the buses to leave from my school so I can get out without waiting in the parking lot. And I was watching some videos on my phone, and I saw a trailer for a Netflix show coming out on January 25th, and it's called Kingdom. And it's got zombies in it, and I grew out of zombies when I was in high school. I, I'm over it. But this zombie thing is set in feudal South Korea, it appears. So that's kind of an interesting twist. Probably a little crossover with sword and sorcery. It looks like feudal South Korea is dealing with a plague that brings the dead back to life. On the surface, it doesn't look like anything all that new, except that I haven't seen a zombie show set in the past and definitely not in a feudal Asian country. So that's kind of cool. Um, I also got some early Christmas money, and I bought Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And it's freaking great. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's 100% sword and sorcery. But there's this sci-fi, almost like Carl Edward Wagner Kane thing running in the background. Uh, with uh, some ancient alien type stuff. And it kind of just runs in the background. So it, it's fitting. Action's good. Lots to do. Really beautiful. Lots to see. But I think the big announcement was, uh, what is it? Is it Funcom and Petroglyph announced a new Conan game called Conan Unconquered, which appears to be very, very loosely based on the Black Colossus. Um, it is a real-time strategy game. Think like uh, Age of Empires civilization to some extent we don't know much about it other than the trailer and i have no doubt that purists in the conan canon were just abhorred at what they saw uh with uh some giant spiders and an army and then a massive statue of mitra rising behind conan but that was the coolest thing i'd seen all week people you, you don't remember that in the story when that happened no no, oh, it oh, didn't happen in oh, the story. Oh. <laughs> but you need to know that you've you've got to remain unconquered. Okay, that's yes, the point remain unconquered, unconquered. And you know, honestly, I don't have a problem with it. Um, I'm not. I I loved Age of Conan. Uh, I I know the art style and the armor styles and the enemies and the caster classes didn't fit Conan lore but the representation of how they viewed the world was beautiful. And the music and everything, it just nailed it for me. And whether or not I adhere strictly to the plot of Black Colossus or whatever story stories they try and incorporate, as long as it gets the feel, that's the most important thing to me in Sword and Sorcery. And it's going to offer things... I don't personally like real-time strategy games. I don't have the patience. I don't have the multitasking capability. Um, my brain just doesn't handle it, but I, it's, it's, it's out there. And I think people will probably enjoy it if they like that kind of game. Well, there's something I wanted to, uh, just to bring up about that, that Logan and I, we've talked about it before is the fact that, um, Funcom reuses assets and it's, it's a smart decision because they, they spent time and money creating things. And, of course, they can reuse them, which frees up time and money to develop other content. And it also creates a, their own sort of uh, insular setting. Because the other thing is, you know, you'll see different interpretations of Conan. He's going to look different depending on the company that's producing the material. But 
Funcom sort of has its own thing going. I know we've talked about the sort of uh, Aqua Romians uh, and <laughs> being a little non-canon, but I don't know. People seem to debate that a lot. So I would say that that's a smart move by Funcom, and it allows them to sort of keep pushing out material. And I'm with you. I, I think all the stuff they've created is pretty good in its, in its own right. Yeah, I'm right there with you, people. I want The Witcher 3, but with Conan. I get it. But The Witcher took a decade or more to put together. And Funcom's had some hard times in the past. Okay? (laughs) Like, we got to be patient for that stuff. It'll come, but not tomorrow. No. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's interesting that they chose an RTS. Um, And obviously, they already have, like, the foundation, as we said, with, uh, with Exiles. But there's probably not a uh, a less sword and sorcery type game that I would think than an RTS game. It's usually the one versus many in a lot of ways, and I get yeah. it. That's the that's one of the few stories where we're starting to talk about army combat. But generally, when I think sword and sorcery, it's sort of one versus many or a few versus many. Um, that said. I'm super psyched for it, and if sure. I get a new computer um, in 2019, then I would definitely be getting it. I just don't know that I'll have the, the PC horsepower for it. Sure. Yeah. Um, a lot of the time when we think of Sword and Sorcerer, like especially Conan, we, we picture him and, and the uh, scantily clad sidekick or whatever um, in like a lost rune or what, what have you, but what is this? Black Colossus, there's Scarlet Citadel, there's a couple major battles in the Hour of the Dragon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a major battle in, um, oh, the one in Afghulistan and Vindia. I always forget its name. People of the Black Circle. Yeah. Uh, and then we see the aftermath of large-scale battles in a few stories because he always gets stranded in the desert after the army inevitably loses. So, like, it exists. It's not yeah, like it's just born, pulling it? out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and I would say, I mean, that that's the thing. It's like, it's rarely, I think, in Sword and Sorcery, it's it's rarely the main focus, right? And, of course, yeah. it's more of a background or a plot piece, whereas with a game, obviously, that's going to be the whole deal. But by the same token, uh, few Conan stories are about uh, actually surviving, right? Like, he, he usually just manages. Sometimes he's on rough times. But I don't know. I think that's kind of an interesting approach to a, past, a pastiche, right? Like I, I don't think even if you play, like, a, an RPG game, that it necessarily has to feel like a Howard story. I yeah. think you are just playing in the Howard sandbox. And if you tell a different kind of story in that world, for me, that's kind of cool. Um, Definitely. And I think it's perhaps more difficult to just ape a, a Howard story. And I think we have done it so, so much that I am actually quite interested to see not really like another genre come in there, but like if, I don't know why, well, I mean, even Howard does that himself. Like, um, he's done detective stories within Conan. He's done his frontier stories within Conan. Yeah. So he he kind of does that too. So you know, you take that mold and branch out. And if you, I guess, in some ways, the games are sort of doing that uh, in terms of their format or their medium, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, and um, you know, to the point of playing in the sandbox, like you see that a lot with Lovecraft too, right? Yeah, I mean, th- that's a very right. large sandbox. Uh, that gets so many different interpretations and adaptations and they will bump time periods just according to whatever the game or the book or, or the, the story sees fit. Um, so I'm all for it. I think it's pretty cool. 
it's definitely I can imagine uh, purists watching that trailer though, and I sort of have to chuckle a little bit <laughs> uh, as someone who's not like I don't I I know there is the the pure, and I I'm okay when something's not pure, um, and as long as it's respectful of at least what I think it should be. Um, mm. So, but you yeah. know, I think it'll be pretty cool. I think it'll be good. I got to admit, I also really like their model for Conan. Um, it's yeah. the same yeah. model they used in the in the Exiles trailer. Yeah. And it just looks really good. Yeah, they did a good yeah. job with that. They nailed that. Yeah, um, I agree. And that Exiles trailer, I still love it. Yeah, the Exiles trailer is good, yeah. I had the uh, the two-year-old was uh, in the living room. I turned that on because I wanted to upkeep the bass, Logan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I let the opening cinematic play, and my wife is just looking at me like, are you really letting him <laughs> watch? I'm like, what? And then yes. getting chopped off and he's like, <laughs> wild dog creatures. And I'm like, hmm. Yeah, yeah, I guess two and a half is probably too young for that. Like, I actually saw his brain uh, break a little bit, maybe. That's fantastic. <laughs> no, nah, he, he didn't know what was going on. Born on the battlefield. Yeah, exactly. Mm. It's the first thing that came to my mind. That's right. <laughs> so, should we do this? Should we jump in? Oh, gosh. Yeah, let's jump yeah, in. Yeah, we got to jump in. All right. your loans. Okay, so <laughs> the, we have a number of different ways to kind of frame this. Um, so I think we're going to poke a little bit and we'll see where we land and we're just going to start to pick it up, uh, pick it up as we go. So what this, I'll give a little background for those of you who don't know, um, the general stereotype in sword and sorcery is sort of the, um, barbarian wearing very little clothes, uh, except for a loincloth, um, uh, sometimes a fur loincloth. Uh, as we will refer to uh, probably for the rest of the show as the fur diaper. Uh, and then the the female uh, warrior a lot of the time, heavily depicted by Red Sonja um, in sort of the chainmail bikini, which is that um, idea has, has gone across all genres of fantasy now. There are so many memes and jokes about, uh, you know, female armor not being functional. So with that said, let's start with a functional thought or two on these armors. Logan, I'm going to let you go because I know you've been like ready to tip this <laughs> Oh apart. my gosh, why'd you pick me? Uh, um, uh, go get them. <laughs> if any of you have at all followed my comments on the Facebook page, uh, you're probably well aware of my... How do I put this nicely? Um, I lean heavily towards the functional as far as both male and female armor goes. I'm not a purist in the sense that I, I like this stuff that Funcom is putting out despite it not adhering strictly to Conan canon or what Robert E. Howard described, but I hate the fact that it seems like everyone wants the warriors to run around basically nude. Um, I don't think that it would be helpful on the battlefield. I don't think that it would be I don't think it's helpful for the genre as it's viewed from outsiders. Um, and it might be strange that I take it personally, but when people look at, like, if I'm reading a Conan comic and I see it has a picture of, you know, bare-chested Conan with this uh, topless woman on it and I'm reading it, people stare at, at me at the coffee shop. Like, is this guy, what was he, what is he reading? Is he a child? And and that I feel like that kind of reflects poorly on my genre, so I lean heavily towards the uh, 
the functional, I guess. All right. A, a couple of things there. Um, one is that I, I hear you because personally, I, I want to, I, I have nostalgia in my eyes. Okay. I've got a lot of it. I have a soft spot for those, th that sort of older depiction. But by the same token, I do want to see things advance, and I do want to, you know, if it if it is kind of silly, which it is, uh, and that's okay sometimes, right? Um, but I kind of want to, I don't want people rolling their eyes either. Now, there's the other part of me that's like, I don't give a damn, <laughs> stare all you want, this is my thing, and I'll wear it as a badge, you know, I, I, I don't... Uh, if you're going to roll your eyes at Frank Frazetta, then that's on you. That's not on me. Um, but that actually transitions well to my other point is that do you think that's really what got us stuck in this is that Frazetta, Frazetta's images on those old Lancers and those old, those old paperbacks was so – those covers were so powerful that, like, we just couldn't depart because we even – when we read Howard – Sure, some stories, you know, when he's in hot environments, he's depicted as wearing a loincloth um, and little clothing. But well, we see him in full-on armor uh, exactly. in exactly. so many stories. And yeah, not even a loincloth. Sometimes he's wearing, like, silk pants, like Aladdin. He dresses to where he is a lot of the time. Yeah. yeah. And actually, I saw a post the other day uh, that made me chuckle. I, I tried to make a note to bring it up, and lo, I have remembered it. <laughs> Someone posted a picture of some panels from the upcoming new Marvel Savage Sword of Conan. Yeah. Where you may have seen uh, some of the covers where he's fighting pirates and things like that. And there were images in the comics of these pirates who looked very pirates of the Caribbean. You know, I had seen somebody commented saying like, oh, well, that's not, that's not Conan to me. I'm paraphrasing and apologies because I, I didn't actually make a note of exactly what they said. But they seem to think that like, that wasn't their vision of the Hyborian age. And when you read um, Black Stranger, you I will was just going to say that. He's got like a, he's got the hat, he's got the pants, he's got the, the shirt. Um, he, he does he have like a rapier a, or something at some point? Yeah, it's the whole deal, man. That's, that's how we're doing. Well, he rewrote that story from, uh, from another of his pirate right. tales and put Conan on it. So, yeah, Conan does not just wear he he does not wear a fur diaper. Period in the Howard stories, but you know that's something that came out of Marvel. But I guess back to my question is, I mean, do you think that Frank Frazetta's imagery of of shirtless barbarians and the fact that you know his images aren't meant to be practical; they're meant to show movement and be visceral and to have fire and blood. Um, do you think that's just so damn powerful that like everyone had to follow suit? And because we were fans of it for so long. We've just not been able to get away from it. In a word, yes. I think that yeah, that's, I think that's a very, agree. very big part of it. And you know, his—I mean, he's prolific, right? It's not yeah. like he just did Conan. He did a whole bunch of stuff, and that style permeated throughout all kinds of fantasy. Yeah, uh, all kinds of now, not even just fantasy. So I think that that is a, a big, big thing, and it's something that at the period. It was very easy to accept, and it looked really good. And, you know, psychologically, it's geared towards, I, I will say, it was geared towards men back then. It's a big, powerful sure. man, sort of this alpha male thing. We've talked about it before. He's the guy that all the guys want to be. You know, he and, and in the pictures, he's always got the girl, and this is the image that Frazetta was uh, portraying a lot of the time. 
big hero rescuing damsel in distress, not wearing a lot of clothes. Totally. However, in order to advance and to make uh, the genre thrive, you need to start to look a little bit past that. And I'm one who can say, I'm fine with fantasy being fantasy, but I think that there should be lots of representations of it. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. I, I have no argument with that. Um, I just wanted to bring up, because we talked about Funcom and how they've maybe taken some liter- liberties with the um, Hyborian Age, that while doing research for this episode, I ran across an interview where Frank Frazetta was very adamant that he had not even read a Conan story. Um, it's just not part of his process. So it's funny to me that a lot of us sometimes maybe get get a little uh, anxious when we see giant statues moving and spiders in an army uh, because Funcom took some liberties, but we don't necessarily poo-poo uh, Frazetta's inaccuracies at the depictions. Well, I mean, Funcom is not exactly Frank Rosetta. I know, I know. It's just, <laughs> but I'm I, not saying his art's not good. It's it's beautiful. I love it. I, I have a painting of Tarzan. I mean, it's a it's a print, but I have one of the Tarzan prints. Um, I love it, but uh, I don't know. Like, no, I, I I'm the know. one that's gonna lose us the fans this episode. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's hop, <laughs> let's hop back to function though for a second. So uh, clearly. I, I I think that someone would be hard pressed to argue that the armor is functional. However, the I think the idea of the characters, and this permeates into um, role playing games quite a bit too, is the idea that they are so quick on their feet, so so fast, so powerful, that they're just better than you, and that's why they don't need the armor. There, if you hit them, they'll bleed. But you're you're gonna scratch them where they're gonna cut you. Yeah, they're compared to wolves and panthers the entire time, right? Yeah. Like it's very primal. Yeah, it is. It's quick movement. It's like uh, your muscles are tensed like a spring. But I, I actually there was something that came up there that I wanted to make mention of was that since we were even talking about Black Colossus, wasn't it in Black Colossus where Conan um, he did get outfitted in like some pretty heavy armor at one point, and then yeah. chose to doff that armor so that he would be more uh, like yes. lighter on his feet. Yeah, yes. I know that he loses it at some point. Um, I can't remember why, although he, in, I guess in Hour of the Dragon, he is prepared to charge against the media in a full medieval heavy armor. Yeah. And in Scarlet Citadel, he was wearing heavy armor until it all got hacked off. Right. Um, but yes, I believe you're right. So, and then flipping to the other gender... This is probably where it can even be more hotly contested, uh, both in function and socially speaking. So the role in, of women in sword and sorcery um, is something that I think that we, we probably can talk about forever. We are men, so uh, we're not really representing uh, an entire demographic here. But in my personal opinion on it is, again, I, I'm split. I would love to see better female representation across the board in Sword and Sorcery as heroes. I want um, women creating content to have uh, to have better representation. But I'm also okay with saying that there is this subset of the genre that depicts 
um, you know, the damsel in distress. Um, I really don't think that the, the genre needs um, to turn into some sort of like softcore situation, like uh, some do. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's just my own personal taste. I'm, I'm sure I guess there's probably some people that like that too. But, you know, when you look at uh, like the Red, the Red Sonja situation and wearing that chainmail bikini, it's, it's written, I would say, largely for men uh, to enjoy a sort of an alpha female who can kick butt, but can also appeal to the to the male eye as well. Right, and and I and I th I think too, like just to take it back to Howard for another minute, you know, for every da damsel in distress, he he tends to have another very capable warrior woman presented too. And in the 1930s, uh, when these were being written, I think that that's somewhat noteworthy. Definitely, um, definitely. and of course too, like the original red. Red Sonia with a with a Y, she was very much a a warrior woman as well, and she did not she was not written as having a uh, chainmail bikini, but as you say that really does come down to the you know they're knowing that those comics were probably being sold predominantly to young men and they were meant to be, uh, I mean they're trying to sell issues right, and at that time that's that tends to be what worked. That's so, just it. That's exactly it. I mean the market at the time was a very specific market that you're selling to. So they made right. conscious choices to appeal to that market. I think with things, uh, the success, um, and I'll go just to, to movies, right? Uh, movies and TV, the success of Game of Thrones, the success of Lord of the Rings has shown that you don't need to necessarily do that to have strong female characters that are interesting and exciting and can kick butt in their own way. Yeah. And that's what the genre does need to recognize and, and move to as well and expand, well, expand is I think the big word. Yeah. And I think, I think now if you, if you were to sell something like that, you would have a bit of a hard time with it. Yes. And I think maybe that's, that's where a lot of people get upset and start calling names or, or, or leveling complaints about these things because they feel like, Oh, we can't have this anymore. If we do, people are going to be in an uproar. And it's like, well, it's not to say that you can't, I mean, the comics still exist, but, in today's uh, age, you might expect some flack. I believe you could still do it in a very particular way. I think if you had a filmmaker who approached it like in a tongue-in-cheek fashion, you could get away with it. But I mean, there's just no reality now where you're going to have a movie in 2000, well, we'll say 19, where uh, your main protagonist struts out in a female bikini and is whooping all ASS and audiences just to be like, yeah, totally. I'm not, I don't have a weird thing to say about that. Like someone is going to blog about that and they're going to, they're going to trash it. So the question is, how do you change that approach? And I don't know, is there still, is there still a place for that in a mainstream situation? I think yeah. theatrically, um, theatrically Wonder Woman is probably the, uh, the big guide. Sure. One of the big shining lights on, on how to do it right. Totally. Uh, she was still attractive. I mean, if we're talking purely, the movie was good. I enjoyed the movie very much um, on way more bases than she was pretty to look at. But if we're going down to, like, if the reason they're in this, this get-up is that it's appealing to look at, she still looked pretty good in that armor. Uh, <laughs> in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, um, I'm going to bring it up because I've been playing it, uh, you can choose a male or female character. I chose the female because I heard the voice actor was just a little more convincing. 
but her armor is very, very similar to the male counterpart. It doesn't change at all. She still looks good, and it also looks like it exists in the world that makes sense. Um, and, I, and I want to interject here on this, because this, this brings up a point I don't want us to not cover, is the fact that, so we're mentioning that obviously we have some kind of expectation that our female warrior is supposed to look good while whooping while whooping butt, right? Sure. Now, I'm not saying that's right, but right. it still seems to be an expectation, and it's going to be one of the things that people comment on, uh, rightly or wrongly. But I guess I would say is how much of a balance and perhaps an unspoken balance do we actually have here? Because I mean, Alex and I sort of were talking about this in terms of, you know, all of all of your superheroes are at like peak, not they're like beyond peak male fitness. And right. you can see every little muscle striation through their spandex. If we're talking about heroes or if it's Conan, you know, it's all, it's all going to be there on the comic page. So obviously I, I don't think, that is a marketing tool that's being used in the same way for like, hey, look, uh, ladies whom we want to sell these comics to, we have super attractive males as well. But I don't think you can honestly say that that's, that that's not still selling that angle a little bit. The idea that we want to see uh, our heroes or our, our protagonists in you know close to perfection. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I'm perfectly at peace with myself that I can say that Thor looks good doing what he does, um, you know, whatever. (laughs) Uh, And I I think that's part of Hollywood, or like part of maybe enjoying fiction. I I don't know. Most of the time when we see these larger-than-life characters, they would be more or less considered attractive, whether they're male or female. And like... Yeah, that's just kind of the way things go, and I don't know why. I don't know if it's right, or I, I won't say that it's right or wrong or whatever. It's just kind of the way things are, right. I guess. We don't have a female Steve Buscemi, though. That's true. <laughs> it's interesting how, um, you know, when it comes to stories, movies, you want characters with flaws. And when I say you, I mean everyone, right? I mean the general, sure. the general right. perception. You want characters with flaws except you don't want your heroes to look flawed. <laughs> you love to look, right. make them look perfect. They can have uh, emotional flaws, psychological flaws, They can, but they got to be jacked. They got to yeah. look perfect. Uh, and that, that's, yeah. that's funny. I mean, it's not yeah. the reality, and that's fantasy. That's the point of fantasy is it's the fantasy escape for everybody. Right? So, what's like, that? Go ahead. That's also quite a, a trope of sword and sorcery, even more specifically, like everyone is larger than life and beautiful and, you know, whatever trope they need to fill. Right. All right. So why don't we uh, shift gears here for a second and talk about, we've gotten a little bit of feedback from people on this. Um, So uh, Logan, I think you have an email that you wanted to bring up. Yeah, there was a listener that emailed us after episode two and he had some questions. because we talked about some stuff. We mentioned this episode um, he, he actually gave us quite a few things to talk about on um, this one, particularly relevant to this. And he said, in the Beasts and Barbarians setting for Savage Worlds, there's a trait that a player can take for their character called Loincloth slash Bikini Barbarian that allows the character to, uh, to not take penalty for not wearing armor. Granted, it is optional, but our listener wonders whether or not we think that 
image hurts or helps the genre? I think it supports the genre. I mean, and, and I don't mean that it, it, it support as in help. I think it just says what it is. And because um, 5e has, it's not the same thing, but it's very similar. I mean, your barbarians, uh, I'm looking up the rule right now, uh, unarmored defense. So it's a little more PC, I guess. Um, but, you know, when you're not wearing armor, your armor class is 10 plus dex plus your constitution modifier. I'm, I'm reading Barbarians. So this is, you know, you get a, um, a, a really nice boost for not wearing armor. So, again, it's sort of that thought that you're primal. You are this, this primal being that is quick on reflexes, like a cat, uh, and all those wonderful things that Matt said before, that you don't you're you're just better you don't need to to wear armor you can fight and not get hit you can fight and take a hit so mm -hmm. that that's kind of my take on that and the story that you're in supports it right that that's the difference is like if, if you're going to like you couldn't have a character running around in a chainmail bikini in a game of thrones because i was going to ask that later later yeah you're going to get killed immediately now i do actually have a pretty good idea of how I would approach a Red Sonja movie. Um, I don't know if you guys care to hear it. Yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Well, I had written a... I, this is like one of the, Probably the second short story I ever tried to write like several years ago, and it wasn't very good. But I had a... I, I essentially took up the challenge to write a story where I put a chainmail bikini in there and have it make sense. <laughs> Not to... <laughs> you know, oh, and she put on her chainmail bikini and fought evil. Um, so I tried to, I tried to have some motivation there. And so the idea was, this was a character who was a, she had been a warrior, but she essentially racked up such a, um, such notor uh, she was notorious and had to essentially escape and she became a dancer for a short stint. And so she was doing that and her dancer's outfit was the chainmail bikini. And so she was doing that uh, one night when an old, uh, an old sort of uh, enemy was in the audience and she kind of catches eyes with him. And then she's, it's that moment of like, uh-oh, he knows it's me, I know it's me. She, had, you know, she was wearing a wig and keeping her, her low profile. But what ends up happening is she ends up getting a hold of a sword and it becomes a bloodbath and she's fighting her way out of this. But the whole time she's getting chopped up and getting these small nicks and cuts, right? So eventually, she manages, manages to get out of there just by a hair. And if this is a Red Sonja movie I would be adapting, then this is the opening scene. The opening scene is her in this situation. The audience doesn't really know what's going on, but you're, you're showing it all through the photography and the shots. And so she gets bloodied and cut up. And then at the end of this scene, once she does create a bloodbath and destroys everyone, you see a scene where she actually goes to an armor, gets a sweet new set of armor, and she tosses the stupid chainmail bikini in the trash. So it's actually kind of a homage to the chainmail bikini, but also destroying the, you know, the very idea of it. And then the rest of the movie, she would be wearing sensible armor and attire. So, I, I like that. That's nice. good. I mean, that's, that's exactly how I'd, I would approach it. And now that it's on record, uh, if anyone does that, um, I will sue you. Copyright. Yeah. <laughs> 2018-2019. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because there's plenty of art out there that handles the armor in in not a bikini fashion, for women, that is, in a non-bikini fashion. Like, it's more covering, 
Um, it's still drawn in, in a, uh, I guess, in a, a sexy way. Um, mm. But you know, it can be done. I mean, it has been done. It's not. It's not really that that groundbreaking to to portray it differently, um, and still retain sex appeal and and be you know make make it um, something that I think is appealing to the audience that they're trying to sell things to. Sure. And oh, well, I mean, and and it's not even just like armor isn't just silly and non-functional uh, simply because of uh, trying to make it sexual to sexualize. The females, right? We see all kinds of stupid things like spiked shoulder pads pointing was, yeah, toward the person's yep. head. You know, you raise your sword, you're going to literally drive a spike in your ear. Or if you fall <laughs> over. Yeah. I mean, the I'm biggest turnoff of World of Warcraft is shoulder oh, pads. That's the worst example. Is, the is worst like example. Gigantic shoulder pads. And it's like, you can't swing anything in those. And I'm not, I don't know, I've never worn armor enough to know these things. But um, wh- wh- why don't we actually, why don't we do a shout out to like, properties or worlds or fiction where we think the armor has been handled well or ones that we like from a practical point of view uh, let's okay. do that but, but before we do that i want to make a, a quick world of warcraft uh comment yeah when they added uh transmogra transmogrification uh, the first thing that i did was downscale my armor people like to go back to like their their older bigger armor but i like to get the stuff that you were getting at like you know those very first green green armor that you got that was um, you know tiny little shoulder pads or like an all black outfit that makes you look like a ninja or something like that. Very very subtle. I always thought that was the best. Yeah, I, in like Skyrim and Morrowind, I rarely progress my armor past like steel. Like it just looks normal, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> like no, I feel you there. Yeah, a little less gaudy. Um, yeah. All right. So, but to what you were saying, what uh, what does represent it well? Um, I think the Witcher uh, does a phenomenal job of armor. Yes. Uh, again, I don't wear armor. I don't do battle uh, as cool as that would be. Um, but the armor depicted in like the third game is really solid. It looks like it would work. It doesn't look like it would totally weigh you down. And the heavy armor actually does look heavy. Looks like you'd still have movement. You can see where everything's tied in place. No ridiculous uh, shoulder pads. And again, I'm not saying that you can't have these things and that they don't have a place in fantasy, depending on your setting. Um, this, these are just examples of where I think that, you know, they've done a good job and they, they won't have people rolling their eyes at Logan in the coffee shop. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say The Witcher is, uh, is probably the number one example of cool aesthetic and practical armor. I think the Game of Thrones TV show does pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that's actually um, pretty. So does the Lord of the Rings live action movies. Yeah, yeah, they I, they um they had to. I mean, because there's never any overt um sexual content in any, in any of those. I mean, it's it's very straight. So I think it would be more out of place if they did that. And again, Definitely. that sort of speaks to the sword and sorcery genre. Um, you know, and and going going back to Frazetta, really, is he created and 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 howard did too i mean a lot of people did that it's a very sexually charged genre i mean sure. you can write fantasy yeah. the um like like lord of the rings which is it's not charged at all but this is it's a very saucy charge and that's what it was intended to do it was supposed to fit yeah. a specific mold in a specific time period and people obviously you know it stood the test of time people love it but that that's its intention is to be sort of um sort of racy a little bit that's right. And I mean, you look at other genres too, like 
Tolkien is obviously very, uh, you know, asexual in that regard. Like, there's not, you don't have that bit. Sword and sorcery is definitely more titillating. And you'd have something like Grimdark, where it would be like, uh, you know, grimy uh, play in a mud puddle or something, where people regret it later. And, you know, so it, it really is, I, I would agree that it's part of the whole romanticism of the genre. And I don't necessarily mean like sexual romance. I just mean that, uh, it's larger than life. Everyone's pretty. Everyone looks good. Everything, you know. Yeah, and, and I was just reviewing the because I was I was trying to make a character for uh, Alex's campaign here, and I was looking for names of the Iborian Age, and I was looking through the two D twenty source book, and the art in there is phenomenal. If you're a fan of sword and sorcery art, you, you need to get the PDF and just look at the art because it's fantastic. But when they show character examples, the armor all looks functional, maybe sometimes piecemeal, maybe sometimes a little barbaric. But the only character that I saw today that was drawn without a shirt was a Sumerian barbarian. Yeah. <laughs> they don't wear shirts. It's just a yeah. thing. Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> On the same note, I think I, I think the Elder Scrolls main titles do a pretty good job of having functional um, armor. Uh, there's nothing like overtly ridiculous unless you get to like Daedric armor, which has like spikes all over it, which I've never even worn in a game because it has spikes all over it. And I'm not 12. Oh, but, I did. <laughs> Matt's 12. <laughs> But well, Alex, what's your what's your thought? What's the most uh, what's the best armor? I I I was going to bring up the Lord of the Rings thing. I think that they represent it well. Um, yeah. And I think even in uh, the the live action stuff and and I, I yeah I, I, I strangely the uh, the Hobbit movies I can't remember the name of the character. Uh, but the the female elf that they brought in, Evangeline Lily's yeah, character. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, I know who she is. I couldn't think of the character. Like Made she was up, awesome. Character Toriel. Yeah, yeah. She, that, like I realized. Toriel. Yeah, Toriel. Thank you. She. I thought like she was awesome. Like she was a good kick butt, well represented uh, character. And I realized that that's probably for the purists. Like they're gonna throw stuff at it. But this is a sword <laughs> and sorcery. This is a sword and sorcery podcast. So come get me. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought I thought she did a great job, and I thought that the armor and her whole um, representation of self uh, in that was was just pretty badass the whole time. It could have been, but I was so distracted. Like those films for me were just people falling. They would walk for a while, and they would fall down somewhere, and then they would fall in another place. They would fall into a goblin place. Oh look, they fell into another crevice. That's oh funny. look, falling off a giant statue for That's like funny. an hour. Yeah, I got a. If we're on The Hobbit, like, I would watch one movie, maybe two shorter films that cover the events of The Hobbit. I will not watch three two-hour films that cover The Hobbit. I love Benedict Cumberbatch. I like Dragons. But, like, a third of that second movie was just Bilbo talking to a dragon and this ridiculous chase to the mine. Then it ends. And spoilers, in the first five minutes of the third film, the dragon dies. But I digress. It, it never needed to be three movies, and I think <laughs> I think everyone would agree on that. But I don't know; they're still fun. Like to me, they're fun movies, and maybe they do fall down a lot. But 
I never noticed until just now, so thanks for ruining it. <laughs> man, they fall everywhere. It's like a drinking game. Go back and watch The Hobbit and take a shot every time they fall. So here's uh, another, getting back to the armor conversation, uh, <laughs> miniature representation, right, on your tabletop. So I think it's interesting because if you're playing a game with miniatures, you probably don't realize that you have a barbarian uh, or, or that type of character uh, unless they are dressed um, in the manner that we're speaking, you know, the yeah. sort of the fur diaper. Otherwise, what do you assume that they are? A fighter. So I, I hate to keep going back to Frazetta, uh, but he kind of nailed down what it, what it means in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, for better and, or for worse. That's yeah. the defining image. And, and if I say fighter, you think a certain, uh, a certain look. If I say barbarian, you think a certain look. If I say thief, you think a certain thing as well. And usually it's sort of like that, you know, leather-clad... Um, Gray mouser with the cowl. Yeah, with a hood or something like that, exactly. So, you know, when I, I think if you were to just lay some miniatures on the table and say, here you go, what do you want to play? That, I, that speaks volumes. Because it, someone's going to say, I want to play the barbarian. And what are they going to pick? Sure. Shirtless Joe. Shirtless Joe. It was funny. We also had an interesting conversation, though, about the roles of classes in that I am adamantly against monks, but Alex <laughs> likes to frame monks in a way that is what I would say distinctly non-monkish. Yeah. But I guess... So yeah, is that why do we play into these stereotypes? Because it doesn't have to be. In fact, you could probably have a better character if you, or a more interesting character. I won't say better, um, a more interesting character if we try to stray from some of these like classic tropes, for right. lack of a better word. Yeah, and and you know I've talked to you guys a lot about it, and I'm trying in our in our gaming experience that we're we're gonna have. I want you guys to be able to feel like you can play whatever it is. And at one point you said you wanted to play a merchant, not for this, but like in general, you had this character yeah, yeah. concept of a merchant. And to me, you should pick whatever dice or class mechanics that you like. And I know we're getting away from armor, but yeah, well, that's fine. Um, yeah. And you should pick your um, the, the, the mechanics that you like just because you like them. You like the way they work. And then if you want, if you want them to be a uh, like a jowled set merchant that, that's overweight and sweaty, like, you should do that. He doesn't have to be some, like... Uh, you know, avatar type monk or anything like that. You could do that too. Um, but I wish that games will never do this because it's just not the way that they're, they're built because they're played, they're, they're played for the tropes a lot of the time. But I wish yeah. that they just sort of had like, here's this dice mechanic, pick what you want. You know, what do you want to be? <laughs> pick what you want. Yeah. So, you know, I think 2d 20 kind of plays with that. It's cause it's, I almost want to say it's classless. They do. But yeah. It does have like archetypes or careers I don't know what they call it exactly, but... Yeah, they, they do, and I'm looking forward to um, diving more into that. Um, that is going to be uh, something that I, I think 2019 is going to hold for me. Um, yeah. To, to really get to get to know that system a little bit better. But even, you know, D&D I, I, &D is just the big kid on the block, so it's really easy to talk about it. Totally. I think that players should take a step back and not always think, hey, I, I'm going to be a bard and a bard means blah 
I just don't think it should be that. Say, hey, I want to be a witch doctor. That's not even in the book. But what does that mean? Mm. What do you want it to be? Like, I think sure. you could make a bar to witch doctor because they do a lot of interesting, um, they have a lot of interesting buff mechanics and they have certain, and, and I'll say the debuff mechanics, right? And if you think, I think of a witch doctor, they're not necessarily dealing damage. They're sort of putting hexes and curses and throwing like uh, powders and stuff like that and chucking frogs. Glass and, jars of spiders. Yeah, thanks, it, Diablo 3. Yeah. <laughs> um, chucking frogs. Chucking frogs. Yeah. <laughs> that's a Diablo 3 thing, too. <laughs> yeah, that's all. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, you know, they, they don't necessarily have to have um, damage dealings. They sort of just put a, a curse on you and then suddenly you're not performing as well, you know, as, as you were. Uh, yeah. in a battle. So that's, I would say you could play a bard witch doctor and just call it a witch doctor, but just sort of spin the mechanics just the same way that if you wanted to be uh, the best thief, uh, the king of thieves, be a monk. Why not? You'd be a politician. You'd be a politician. <laughs> politician Ooh. class. Had to. <laughs> I want to be a chainmail bikini model. Can I be that? You, can, you could be that. Be a monk. <laughs> Yeah, be a monk. Everything is just be a monk. <laughs> no, but interestingly, uh, when when um, you'll you'll never you'll never bite on it. I think I'm gonna do an all monk campaign just to force you. <laughs> uh, all you can play is monks. But in in five e they they um, you don't have to fight open handed. Like you could have a sword or uh, see. I think that's what got me, and because I'm familiar with Pathfinder, and Pathfinder monks don't use weapons and. I, since I'm a sword and sorcery fan, uh, I just, none of the characters do barehanded. Like, in martial arts, doesn't seem to exist in the Hyborian Age, like, in any form. So it just really turned me off, I guess. What's, what's interesting is that you could frame it. Um, I, I see a monk could very easily be a barbarian because one of their, like, departing from the names of the mechanics, Sure. the main thing that they do is they attack... And then they have an open-handed attack after that, right? That's pretty much like mm. the combo kind of going on. So you could very easily swing the sword, follow up with a punch. And Interesting. To me, that's extremely barbarian. And then they have they, they have key points which allow you to take more actions. But if you don't call them key points and you called them rage by any other name, you now yeah, have then... a very different style of barbarian. Cool. Well, maybe maybe you'll have a monk. On your campaign, I doubt it. Challenge accepted. Do it to spite me. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, that was a that was a digression. If I'd ever seen one. Yeah. So why don't we why don't we wrap up thoughts on uh, on the armor? We we've kind well, of. I, I want to let in. Um, I want to get a few of the. Oh yeah, we have comments. comments. Great. Um, then maybe we can. You know, if something really jumps out at you from them, um, you know, jump in and have a say. I'm just going to read a couple that uh, jumped out at me. I think perhaps I'll just use a first name, um, and then it's not necessarily tied to anyone, but you will know it's you if I read it. Um, Adam says, love, love, love them both for the aesthetic. And this is, of course, in reference to my question about the fur diaper and the chainmail bikini. Are they harmful? Do you like them? Do they have a place? Um, that sort of thing. Are they dated, antiquated? Uh, I find that the fur diaper is most comfortable, says Keith B. 
It's like a nice pair of well-worn jogging pants, but looks about as appealing, too. Whereas the chainmail <laughs> bikini chafes something fierce, but the wow factor is similar to a red carpet dress. <laughs> All right. Let me see here. Uh, it, Brandon says, it's a bit of fun and it's harmless, and let's be honest, it has become iconic. I love Conan in armor as well. I always hear Howard Pierce complain that Conan was always well-armored, but when I read all the original stories back-to-back, -back, I was surprised how often he's mentioned being in the loincloth, so I'm happy either way. Interesting. I tend to see that bit. I guess the real question is, do we agree... Like, of course, it can be fun, and it can be uh, what it is for the aesthetic, but do you agree that it's harmless in terms of not. the genre, in terms of... Um, yeah, like perpetuating the genre or, or like, uh, dare I use the word inclusive, right? And I'm not sure necessarily that it's not inclusive because if someone's coming to this genre anyways, they're they're probably coming there for the sort of uh, cartoon enjoyment of it and the romance aspect of it. Again, not in the love sense. So I don't know, harmless or not. Um, I have a personal anecdote that I guess uh, is influencing my opinion that I would think that it is harmful. Cause when we say harmless, harmful, like that looks at different things. Um, I won't say this is particular, har particularly harmful to the genre because the woman I'm talking about actually has read all the Conan stories and loves them very much. Mm. Uh, but sitting down at a table to play RPG um, and then looking uh, not RPG, sorry, the, um, the monolith Conan game actually uh, um, and wanting to be a female character, me being the only or only having the, the base set I have Billet, and Billet's not wearing anything and whether or not um, no. she, yeah, she's not at all. Um, it's like some stuff draped over her boobs, but w looking at the, the model uh, you could just tell you could see the, Maybe not so far as disgust, but like the turn off. That's not how she wanted to be represented when playing the game. And I've sure. also talked to other women who have gone to hobby stores to play an RPG and just the the bombardment of this idea that they're objects of, of sex, essentially, was such a turn off they didn't want to go back. Sure. And and, that and that's harmful. And that's something I, I heard, uh, I mean, working for Monolith, I was the guy who got to answer uh, to things like that. Um, and I kind of see it from two angles, right? Like, if if that is someone's genuine take from it, what am I going to say? No, you're wrong? Like, of course, if they feel that way, and it's a turnoff for them, and it's not the sort of representation that they want, then that's totally fair. I would, however, say that Baylit is... Uh, <laughs> depicted in the story as having no clothes and then she does a funky dance to attract her mate. So, oh, yeah. You know, perhaps um, in the future what we would do uh, in that regard would be to, like, make sure, like, a Valeria would be included in the base set, right? Yeah. Right. So right. That option of not, not I just think that was her ultimate it. disappointment, um, was yeah. that Baylet was the only choice. Yeah. And that's what she looked like. And like I said, this woman, she, she loves... She likes Conan. She likes the movie. She likes the books. It's not that she doesn't want to like it, because she already does. Just if giving that being the choice, that left a bad taste in her mouth. Oh no! You know what I would have? I would end up doing. I would end up picking the male character who's also naked and play as him. 
<laughs> that is an alternative. But yeah, I, I, I do see the point. I'm not really minimizing it. Yeah, uh, yeah, not at all. I, I understand, yeah. Um, so uh, Rick says also, when first reading the stories, I was surprised at how often Conan was in armor, including chain and plate, which I think is something a lot of people come to because of this depiction of the fur diaper so much in Marvel Comics and uh, wherever else is this shirtless guy. Um, people got the impression that that's just how he is. And in some of the stories, um, surely not wearing a lot, but in some he definitely is. Uh, let me see. Uh, Jefferson, it's an established aesthetic, but I don't think it's currently doing the genre any favors. It's kind of difficult to take characters seriously when they're dressed like that. I mean, I, I can't really argue with that. So I, I want to just chime in on that, hurting the genre. What the genre really needs, in my opinion, I think I've probably said this before, is better representation. I want people out there changing it. I want yeah. women writers. I want uh, different ethnicities writing. I want different representation. I want to expand the genre. I really don't want it to stay uh, this pinpointed. Uh, that's what I would absolutely love. And then I think then there's room for everybody. Agreed. Well, um, sorry. Uh, no, you're fine. Well, uh, we talked about ahead. that too. Um, the idea that I think you're going to see that, um, and I think it, we have seen it. Yeah. But again, too, I think it's probably not even just in Sword and Source, but in writing, you know, in the earlier part of the 20th century there, you, you had a bit of a boys club as far as people being welcomed in to do these stories. And I think obviously now that's changing uh, and it's good. And I think we're going to see that. I mean, even bringing on like Gail Simone to write Red Sonia obviously is a, is a step towards something like that. Um, and I would shout out too, there's a guy who runs a Facebook page called Sword and Soul. Uh, it's like a subgenre of Sword and Sorcery where you basically have more African-American representation um, in the genre where it's focused on uh, sort of a look at those uh, African-inspired cultures. And I'm so guy, glad you brought that up because I was yeah, going to say that to you. Milton Davis, I think, runs the site. And he, I guess in some ways he would be sort of following in Charles uh, Saunders' footsteps, who yeah. did um, Amaro. Um, so again, yeah, it, it's it's there, but I, I agree. I want to see I want to see more of it, and I want I want I want the community in general to feel like a welcoming place for all of these voices to come in. Yeah, yeah. Also, that sounds like a guest that we might want to uh, yeah dial yeah, up at some point. Yeah. I've emailed Charles Saunders a couple of times to ask him questions, and I know he lives up by you, Matt. Um, yeah, I think he lives in Dartmouth. Yeah. Uh, I haven't got a reply, but I'm a big fan of Amaro. The, I, it took me a little bit because, like, the first few stories, because they do follow a chronological order, take place in the savannah, which to yeah. me was a very different setting. So mm -hmm. it took me a little bit to get used to it, but they are some of the most colorful, interesting, and I, I'll admit it's interesting because it's, uh, history and lore and mythology that I'm not familiar with. No, because and, and, I'm not of that. And if we're if we're limiting those voices, I, I, we're not doing ourselves any favors as far as stories go. Yeah. Interestingly, I think that uh, if we look at the success of something like Black Panther, right? The thing I liked most about that film was that it was a fantasy film, and it really it was. Yes. Um, that just had a an interesting aesthetic and things that we hadn't really seen on display like that before. So, I mean, for that in general, like, it, that's where it got the most points for me. I didn't think it was a particularly um, 
original as far as the story goes or whatever, but I don't, I don't usually even care that much for plot. But the fact that you had the music and the costumes and the setting uh, was something other than your, your run-of-the-mill, you know, medieval European thing for a fantasy. Right. Um, sure. Was totally, you know, I was very much welcoming that. Are there any other uh, emails? Yeah, well, let me. Uh, there's a couple more because I think these are actually pretty good. Um, this is Michael. Pulp artists use sex to sell the stories. Nudes were commonplace for Greek and Roman mythology and even Christian artwork going back through Arcadia and the Renaissance. It's the same thing. In original artwork, Conan is rarely fully clothed, nor are any of his leading women. Howard even wrote about how sex was an easy way to sell a story. It doesn't belong in the genre exactly, but it completely belongs in its advertising. Conan and Sonya shouldn't wear these clothes for war, but always on the cover. And that's an interesting point. Yeah, that's a that's a that, really yeah, interesting, that's interesting statement. Um, most fantasy armor is pretty impractical, says Donnie. Most real armor is pretty ugly. Choose. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Uh, let me see. There's a few others. On, on the note of the first one you read, um, I guess as a fan of the genre, I'm less inclined to buy something that just is trying to sell it based on on the sexual image. Um, I would assume that a cover is representative of what I'm going to find in a book, which might be my fault if uh, if I'm the consumer. But right. Uh, if if I'm thinking the cover's representative of of what's inside, that doesn't appeal to me. Just the overt sure. sex sells is really base. But, it's like saying football plus beer equals buy it. Yeah, and but I'll tell you though. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you though. Fifteen year old me walking around Barnes and Noble, um, having to choose what fantasy book. Like, if I don't know, I'm probably going to grab the cover that appeals to me the most. Unless I'm already like researched it somehow, and you know, fifteen-year-old me didn't have the luxury of the internet either. That's fair, right. and fifteen-year-old me didn't read fantasy, so I couldn't can't speak from that. Ready for another couple, and then we'll we'll call it on that. Yeah, Christopher says political correctness is the death of fun. Ooh, it's charged. I don't know about that. That's charged. Listen, yeah, I, I think I so. I mean, there's overly political correct. And I think yeah. that there, we can all agree that there's a point where it's too much, you know, being overly sensitive. I think there's a point where, you know, things are un- underrepresented too, and you need to you need to kind of even that 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 slide a little bit. Yeah, I would agree. And there's there's certain words for me now that like I just kind of tune out for. And it's not because they don't they didn't have some meaning, but it's that now like if you say SJW or PC run amok, I kind of just my eyes glaze over and I'm. I don't I don't have that much to say about it because to me they're just like part of a rolodex of buzzwords that that kind of actually destroy discourse and are dismissive. So and yeah. I, I'm not saying that um I mean that statement in and of itself I'm not saying there's nothing there um or that we couldn't have a conversation about it but in and of itself uh I don't know. Um yeah. Sean says the point of the genre is that it's ridiculous primordial fantasy. It's supposed to be uninhibited, fun, and over the top. That's what makes it great. Well, sure. Yeah, and I can I can agree with that. Um, I like I said, I think that we just want to have a larger sandbox when it comes down to it, you know, and, and have yeah. it represented uninhibitedly for everybody. Right. Uh, this one I actually <laughs> I like this one a lot. I don't know if I'm getting the name correct. It's, I think it's Helio or Helio. 
fun, ridiculous, and best left in the past. So, a little bit of both, I guess? <laughs> I, I, I think that uh, that's where I land on a lot of this. A little bit of both, sure. How about one last one if you got it? Yeah. I'll, I'll put uh, Johannes in here. He's a... He's a regular. He's, yeah, he's a regular on the Conan site. I'm sure he won't mind me reading his uh, response here. He says, they are pathologic for a whole genre just like spiky shoulder armor, huge swords, silly brown clothes, etc. The quote-unquote fantasy look that has plagued, polluted, and diluted the visual representation of the fantasy genre across most media to a lowest common denominator. Of course, I like to see a lightly dressed attractive female figure, but I love fantasy. And I'd love to see more colors of the spectrum instead of 99% Hollywood crap in paintings, games, TV, and movies. The genre as a whole still has so much potential to grow, especially in the visual media, but it just can't seem to grow beyond the cliché, with few and far between exceptions, like The Witcher. I definitely uh, am with him, especially in the last part there. The genre as a whole has so much potential to grow, especially in visual media. I think Preach, that's brother. what we've discussed about uh, tonight, is that you know, we're not saying that these pieces from the past are a problem. We're not saying they can't exist in a capacity now. But I think all three of us are probably like, you know, we can grow beyond it and, and bring in some, some new bits uh, and, and maybe actually bring in new audiences. Because the fact is, sword and sorcery is a kind of an old person's uh, genre at this point. <laughs> so we, if we want to be the stewards uh, or, or bring it on to a new generation, I think we've got to adapt a little. Yeah, um, brilliantly written, by the way. Really nice, uh, nice yeah. comment there. Yeah, he's an articulate. He's an articulate fellow. Yeah, Logan. Um, how about some last uh, thoughts on this, and then we'll we'll take it. Um, I guess I'm just gonna play off uh, what Matt said. If we're gonna usher in new fans, like the new fans are the students that I see every day, and I I know that I have kids out there that are into it, um, but they have their own tastes too. They grew up or are growing up in a different time, and they see things differently, and there's nothing wrong with that. And if we want our genre to live on, just like we have to do in Exiles, we have to figure out a way to adapt and survive. Yeah, you know, it was, it was a, a quote from um, a, a boxer after fighting uh, a Russian in the, the 80s. Uh, <laughs> I think his name was Rocky Balboa. He uh, single-handedly stopped. Oh, yeah, where he single-handedly... Single uh, stopped the cold war and said if i can change and you can change everybody can change yeah what a movie man. <laughs> i mean you know uh, that's my favorite one uh but no not to not to make light i mean I, yeah in the end i think everybody who likes this genre wants it to, to stay alive sure uh, and it's to some extent it's on life support um you know it it We've said it's alive and well, but it's alive and well uh, with a very diehard group of people keeping it alive and well. It is yeah. not it is not this thing that is exploding all over the world and people are loving it. It's kind of the same, and I, I think we've seen this too, is that it's it's the same people that really, really, really love it, that buy the, the products uh, and support the Kickstarters. And that will last. I'm sure that will last. But for it to be, become a bigger thing... Uh, we do need that adaptation. And we have people trying. Um, I think 
the as the survival aspect of Conan Exiles brought in a lot of people that probably wouldn't have picked up anything Conan before. Yeah. Because uh, people like survival games. Uh, um, hopefully, Perilous Worlds will print out some books, and people are going to be like, oh, this looks cool, and pick it up, and not really knowing what it is they're getting into, and then hopefully they find us and listen. Yeah. Ho- hopping back to Exiles for a second. So I have not played this as much as you guys. I tried. Uh, in fact, I ran away screaming when we fought that uh, serpent. Yeah. Uh, it, it killed yeah, me pretty quick. And you guys were like, sure what is did. wrong with this guy? Does he know how to play video games? <laughs> Uh, and yes, I do. I'm just bad. Um, <laughs> but no, I think good. the armor is represented pretty well. I mean, I know my guy runs around naked most of the time, but that's because I lose my gear uh, pretty much, you know, every minute. Yeah, um, um, you know, I would agree. Uh, there are some that I would say border on the scantily clad. If sure. you're a female, I always play a female character because I'm I'm that guy. Uh, <laughs> but for the most part. I think they're covered like 90% of the armor is what I would consider fantasy functional. Yeah. And you can get, um, good armor. And like you said, you get some scantily clad armor or you can get that, um, that crazy, uh, armor that is like a loincloth and the, um, that, that tribal mask. Yeah. The Darfari armor. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's the most scantily clad one. Yeah. Exiles also, uh, has a, is a good balance between, um, the, the, the two gender options where you have, (laughs) <laughs> oh boy! You, you can choose your endowment. Oh my gosh! Your particular sizes, but hey, you can choose for both. So that's I'm, true. That's I'm, true. You're keeping it balanced, right? I mean, I don't know how many guys out there are running around not putting the endowment up to the top, but you know what? To the guys who do not, good on you, man. <laughs> <laughs> so episode four is going to be the endowment episode. No. <laughs> uh, well, well. So, listen, if you have any thoughts on this this topic, uh, you guys can always, always, always reach us at roguesinthehousecast at gmail.com or on the Facebook page, uh, which is very simply Rogues in the House. Uh, we definitely, as you have heard, we like to, we love the feedback. I would encourage, too, if we have um, any female listeners to, to chime in on this topic, because the truth is we didn't really get... Uh, any maybe maybe a couple on the road we got page, one but I, yeah i couldn't i couldn't i tried to pull it up there a moment ago but uh, i couldn't find it but yeah if you, if you have a, a comment on this we would we would love to hear that too because honestly it's uh it's three dudes right now uh talking about it and it'd be nice to hear uh from another perspective and i tell you what if you do find that comment we have uh episode 3.5 coming up uh we'll we'll try to read that comment comment there uh yeah. if we if we can get our hands on it yeah. So, any last thoughts, Logan? I guess we talked a lot about uh, spreading out our genre, and I and then you mentioned that there's just three dudes sitting here, and I wanted to just say it's a long-term goal that we uh, we bring on voices that aren't necessarily ours, so we can ask other people how they feel about our genre and what they think and what they like and all this stuff. Um, again, long-term goals. We're still starting out, but. Uh, I think we got some we got some good ingredients in the pot. Absolutely, and while I I love all the compliments on apparently I have a decent voice, um, you know I would like to hear somebody else's other than mine. Now you're stuck with us, Alex. <laughs> all right, you are the host and you will remain the host, my friend. Matt, any uh, any final thoughts? Uh, not 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 much outside of what I've already said. I just I, I guess it's that I would uh, appeal to anyone to say that it's okay to like what you like. 
And it's okay if other people don't like it too. It's okay if people want to take things in another direction. It's okay to expand. So I would just welcome uh, everyone, everyone to come in with, with their take and to like about it the things that they like. And don't take any crap off anybody, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> solid. I love it. I love it. So episode 3.5, that'll be our next one. Uh, we will be talking a little bit about historical sword and sorcery settings and even maybe dabble in um, guns in the wow. genre. So please tune in for that. You can always uh, download our episodes uh, on iTunes, Google Play. Uh, we're on a whole bunch of things now. And in fact, if you do download from iTunes, we'd absolutely love it if you would give a, a review, one of them nice five-star reviews. Hit the subscribe button. I've always wanted to say things like that. Um, I just think that it's kind of cool. Uh, but no, if you I, apparently if you give good reviews, we show up more, which is kind of neat. Um, and I was checking the top uh, 200 podcasts on the planet on iTunes, and we weren't one of them. So I was kind of wondering, like, what's going on? Because obviously we should have been. I was expecting 199 at least, uh, but it didn't happen. This, uh, episode with uh, promoting my own my own writing, my own book. So like, I want to be represented. I want to see myself up there. Yeah, right. yeah. For reviews. Right. So um, so the countdown to 199 begins for us. Uh, but again, you guys are awesome, and we really appreciate uh, all the support and. Um, all the listens and all the comments and all the participation on the Facebook page. Um, so as always, you know, we really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, you know, thanks for tuning in and may your swords always remain sharp.